Game seven, eight seconds left, home team down by one. Oh, the home team strips the ball and the point guard is all alone. But it appears that there's a wet spot on the free throw line. The fans go silent. Their championship aspirations flash before their eyes. Wait, someone's running out on the court. Oh my, it's the towel boy. How did he clean it so fast? The point guard takes off and dunks the ball. Game over, the crowd erupts. Towel boy, towel boy. Hello, everybody, and thank you again for another extraordinary standing ovation. My name is Andy. And I'm Landon. And we are the Towel Boys. So in this podcast, Podcast 14, we are going to talk about the first two playoff games for each team. We are recording this on Friday, August 21st, during the Nuggets-Jazz game. And I'll tell you what, the Nuggets are getting blown out in the first half, so we're going to see how the cup ends up. But right now, they look horrible. Yeah, pretty surprising uh, development in that game. We were not expecting big things from Utah, and that has drastically turned around. So yeah, so let's let's start off in the East. We're gonna we're gonna go down like a normal playoff bracket. So let's start at the one eight matchup, the Bucks Magic. Right off the bat, we had one of the biggest upsets in playoff history. I think the Magic were one of the top three or four teams, um, in terms of point differential and, and spread they, i think they were like third the third worst team ever according to the spread that, that won in the playoffs like what an amazing game for the magic that was what happened to the bucks what and happened to were, the bucks you also should mention they were missing aaron gordon jonathan isaac i think they're uh michael carter williams like they were down yeah. a lot of bodies that normally play for them it's a lot of defense too they're missing and they completely shut the bucks down and were able to score so so what went into that game? What happened? Well, Chris Middleton proved once again that when the spotlight hits, he is not the number two that you're looking for. And I know he has had decent playoff success in the past, but I think Giannis is always going to be firing on all cylinders. And it comes down to the second and third scoring options on that team. Um which I consider to be Middleton and Bledsoe. Brooke Lopez is absolutely up there too. But Brooke is always performing. I think Middleton and Bledsoe have varying performances. It can either be incredible, they can shoot lights out. Well, at least Middleton can. Bledsoe is not much of a shooter. Or their impacts can be completely marginalized, which is what happened against the Magic in that first game. And that's inexcusable. So I, I think that now that I'm kind of thinking about this more... Bledsoe, or excuse me, Middleton is a really good second option for Giannis, but at the same time, to become that incredible team in the playoffs, Giannis is bound to get in foul trouble. We've seen it in the bubble. We're seeing it, um, I think he was in foul trouble early in the first Magic game. He picks up fouls. He's an aggressive player. He's He goes all out, sits after four or five minutes, comes back in. He has these spurts, and he ends up playing most of the game, but a lot of times Giannis gets in foul trouble. And the problem is when Giannis gets in foul trouble, I don't think Middleton has proven that he's nearly good enough at creating his own shot. And he's a phenomenal off-ball shooter and can shoot off a dribble or two, but he can't lead an offense. And that's becoming very clear. And that's that's going to be a problem for the Bucs going forward. It's funny to me because I've seen him hit some of the most ridiculous shots this year. He'll just shoot directly over people no matter who's in his face, as if he's Kevin Durant. He is he is capable of draining the most difficult hand-in-your-face shots that you can take. Yet, when I watch him in the playoffs, I'm just not intrigued. He doesn't, he doesn't have that oomph to him when he gets into these big situations that makes me feel like he's going to hit the big-time shots. And much like another team we're going to be talking about later, it's all going to come down to how the role players execute whether it's defensively hitting shots, especially hitting shots. Guys like Dante DiVincenzo, Pat Connaughton, Marvin Williams, these are all guys who who need to hit shots to make this team better because Giannis can do it all. Nobody's doubting that. He can do it all. But he can't play 48 minutes, and he can't shoot. So when you got two guys packing the paint, he needs to kick, and somebody has to hit shots. And it has to be somebody besides Middleton because Middleton's still getting a lot of attention. So a lot of these yeah. guys that come off the bench need to be better contributing towards this Bucks team. 
I think Pat Connaughton deserves a shout out after his tremendous performance in game Absolutely. two. He for basically sure. won that game for the Bucks. Now the Magic played terribly. They kind of <laughs> lost it for themselves, but they still crawled back and were in the game with like four minutes left. It was really those Connaughton threes throughout the entire game that maintained that Bucks lead and ensured their victory in the end. Right. And the Bucks offensively are getting challenged with a Magic team that's still pretty good defensively. Even See, without some I, I don't know if I agree with that because they're down one of the best defenders in the league in Jonathan Isaac. And then you're down Aaron Gordon, who is on the better side of that Giannis defender list that came out a couple weeks ago. He was maybe the sixth, seventh best Giannis defender, according to that, based on like field goal percentage of Giannis playing against him this year. So they're missing two guys that really, really could help them. And Vucevic is not a defensive-minded center. So you're sitting at like a non-defensive-minded center, like Fournier, who is a very, very negative defensive player. You got Fultz out there, who's pretty small, so you don't really have the length. And then a couple of no-name guys. No offense to those guys, but like Gary Clark, I think his name is, uh, and Awundu. They're just, the roster is not that impressive defensively, yet they've been holding to the, the Bucks to way, way lower of an offensive efficiency than the Bucks were expecting. Well, let's not discredit guys like Gary Clark and Iwandu and James Ennis, who are all pretty good defenders. It's not a team that's going to give up 130 points. And yes, the Bucks have not been shooting well, but that, this is exactly where I was going. The Bucks are going to get a lot of practice, and, and they're going to have time to figure out their offense against the Magic. The problem is the Magic's offense is so bad, the Bucks better stay locked in defensively because when they get to the Miami Heat next round, assuming the Heat finish off the Pacers, that's going to be a problem if the Bucks are caught sleeping defensively. They're, they're not exactly having the best warm-up games for the next round. No, they, they actually are kind of dropping the ball pretty pretty hard here when you're looking at the teams that they might have to face coming up you know including the heat celtics raptors and then more on to you know clippers lakers rockets all these teams are locked in defensively and you don't get easy points everybody's building the Giannis wall this year and they're gonna have to get used to that and people are gonna have to sink shots on the bucks and they just don't have that reliable of three-point shooters Giannis can carry them to a certain point, but in the end, shooting is what matters most in this league, and they have to do it well, or else they're going to get bounced. Absolutely. And that starts with everybody besides Giannis. That really starts with Middleton setting the tone. He's a guy who takes a lot of shots early, um, much like a, a Chris Bosh on the Heat who used to take a lot of shots early. Middleton takes a lot of shots to get himself going, and he tried that in Game 2, and I think he started 1 of 6 and didn't shoot for a while. He has to stay confident. And the rest of the confidence is going to build off towards other guys like the George Hills and Kyle Korver and Connaughton and all these guys who need to shoot well. Once you have a guy like Middleton shooting well, the ball is going to move better naturally. And and he's a really important guy to get going, especially for the next round against the Heat. Yeah, and before we move on, I think we just need to mention one magic player that has gone far above and beyond what anybody would have expected of him. And that is former all-star Nikola Vucevic. He has given the Bucks fits. With their drop scheme in which Lopez falls to the paint so far into the paint that you can get off mid-rangers and, you know, easy threes against as a stretch five. Vucevic is taking advantage of that and knocking down his jumpers. And God, that's really not good for the Bucks because they're gonna have to eventually play guys like Kelly Olinick, Serge Ibaka, Marcus Gasol. All of these centers, even Daniel Tice, all of these centers are capable of stretching it out beyond the arc. And their drop scheme, everybody says Bud doesn't make in-game adjustments and just adjustments as a whole from their strategy, their defensive strategy. And that's a knock on him that I've heard for a long time. If they don't make defensive adjustments this year, I, God, I really think that they're going to get knocked out earlier than they want to be. And Nikola Vucevic, as you said, he has 67 points, 24 rebounds, on 28 of 47 shooting, 7 of 16, and two games. He has been 
absolutely remarkable. He has been the Magic's whole offense, and he has given the Bucs lots of trouble. And if the Bucs can't figure out a guy like Vucevic on a very one-dimensional offense, how are they going to figure out the Heat or the Raptors or the Celtics who have multiple threats at different positions? It's it's going to be a problem. And like you said, this is a team that that was a historically great defensive team in the regular season, and they have not shown that so far through two games. Yeah. Now, uh, the Buc- the Magic shot terribly but in the second game, but a lot of those Magic shots were open. So, For sure, yeah. So let's move on to the next series, the Raptors-Nets. Uh, earlier today, the Raptors took care of business, and now it is 3-0. Is it time to get out the brooms, Landon? Yes. I actually predicted the Nets to take two games off of the Raptors in this series, and I don't feel bad about that prediction, even though I don't think it'll even one game will get taken off, and that the Nets have played this series really hard. They're missing four of their best players, maybe five, honestly, and then if you're looking at Joe Harris leaving as well. They're just a completely depleted roster that is full of G League guys. Yet they've still been competing really hard. And I really like what I've seen for them going forward. Karis Levert is one hell of a trade chip that they are likely going to use this summer. Even if they keep him, though, that's a really good third option. And he's a good defender. I Yeah. He's yeah, an all-around he player, and he can shoot. Um, I don't know how well he would fit with Kyrie and KD, but Kyrie and KD can both shoot very well. So I don't, I mean, any spacing with, with Kevin Durant's automatically better because he can shoot from anywhere. And it's not like a LeBron or a Giannis where you necessarily need to surround them with shooters. Kevin Durant is that shooter. So they Ke- could keep Harrison him. Ver- he could definitely fit. I could see them trading him for sure. I, I think they're going to trade him for a more finished product because I would say, I, they need to win now. Kyrie and KD both have pretty drastic injury history and their window in terms of athleticism could be coming to a close pretty soon. I would imagine they're going to want a third all-star next year. See, the thing is that next year he'll be 26. He's about to turn in actually four days. He's going to turn 26. So he's not, he's kind of polished. Not, Not in the sense of being, where he's going to be post prime and playing like that defensively and his IQ, but he's he's up he's not twenty two, so it's not crazy. I to still see think of him as him. a young guy. Do you? He's he's borderline young guy to prime slash mid NBA career. It's his fourth year. Next year will be his fifth year. I think once you're in your fifth year, I don't think you're necessarily a young guy anymore. He's dealt with some injuries that have definitely decreased his impact in the league as a whole if he hadn't dealt with them he'd be performing like he has been for a lot longer and I wouldn't be saying this I think it's just a matter of I haven't seen him dominate like he has in the bubble enough to where I think of him as like a seasoned vet I agree with that he's definitely not a seasoned vet but he he isn't this rookie with inexperience so that I'd say Spencer Dinwiddie's a guy who has even less experience considering his field goal percentage and turnovers Listen, than Levert. When that Joel Embiid trade request comes around, look <laughs> at Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, and Karis Levert to be one of the best packages offered. Absolutely. It's hard for the Nets to say no to that. And I don't know what Philly's thinking, but they have to trade him somewhere if he wants out. That would be one hell of a trio. We'll yep. see. All right. Um, so, the other team in this... Matchup. Yeah, the, the important who, team. Who is the best player on the Raptors right now? <laughs> Such a tough question. I, I, right now, Fred VanVleet is the best player on that team. He is a phenomenal defender. He has been their best shooter, and he's a pretty decent rebounder for his size and a very good passer. So a lot of people would answer Pascal Siakam at this point. How do you feel about Pascal? Pascal has not been great shooting in this series i think he's more of an on and on and off shooter where he's gonna get it some games he won't he's still a great defender he can drive he has this long body and he's still technically if i'm thinking of the best player on the raptors i'm still naming pascal siakam but right now the number one offensive threat without a doubt is fred van vliet this kid this guy has been a sniper his iq is off the charts he's a great defender all of it just puts together this 
all-around player who can just get a stop, get the ball, dribble up court, hit a three, or make a great pass. And I'd still say Siakam's number one, but they have three guys who who really are 1A, 1B, and 1C at this point. Are you ready to watch Van Vliet put up 30 points a game on the Knicks next year, making 30 mil a year? He might get paid $25, $28 million. It's not crazy. <laughs> and I don't think he'll go to the Knicks. He's too used to competing. I think he's going to take a slightly less a slightly less expensive salary to stay somewhere. But, I mean, hey, who knows? Maybe he will go to the Knicks. Maybe he'll be the savior, the next Lin Sanity. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Lin <laughs> Sanity wasn't much of a savior. I'd say it was a bright spot in a dark cavern. <laughs> <laughs> nah, he was their short-term savior. Their exactly. game, 10-game savior. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we're good on the Raptors' nets. There's not much to say here, right? The Raptors look not, pretty I, impressive. The Raptors look as good as everybody said. Their defense is good. Yeah, they're playing their defense. The their offense struggles against a Nets team that does not have many defensive pieces. Jared Allen anchors that team, and Lavert is a good perimeter defender. But in terms of overall team defense and scheme and everything, they're not doing anything fancy. I think the Raptors' offense is going to struggle mightily against the Celtics. Yeah, I, w- I, I wouldn't say they've struggled so far against the Nets, but it's it's a different story to say that well, game too is, is going to scary. translate. That game too was pretty scary. Yeah, but they put up 117 today. What did they put up game one? Like 120, 134 maybe? Wasn't it something crazy? So sure. No, I, listen, they look fine. I, it's just I've been saying the whole year that they hit some nasty dry spots in their offense. Oh, absolutely. And I think against better teams, it's going to look pretty ugly at certain points. Yeah. But, I mean, hey, you have them going to the, the East Finals, so... I do. Their, their and defense I, can carry them. I do feel decent about that pick, but I'm still flipping between Raptors Celtics. Jason Tatum looks like so, so good right now. It makes it hard to put the Raptors over them. And let's let's transition to that next series, Celtics Sixers. The Celtics were my pick to make uh, the finals, actually, and they look really good. They lost a big piece in Gordon Hayward, who's going to be out another three, three and a half weeks. But besides that, I mean, the Celtics team looks good. They have bench players who play their role well. And like you said, Jason Tatum looks like a top seven player right now. Are they a final team without Gordon Hayward? I'm not sure. I don't think I will definitely. I I cannot say no for sure at this point because how good Tatum looks, Jalen Brown is a really, really good shooter and a really good defender and can get his own shot. Kemba looks healthier. This is still a team that has even guys like Grant Williams. Grant Williams, for some reason, is a guy that I trust to be good defensively and, and play his role well. They just have a lot of these guys. And Robert and, Williams doesn't look bad either. No, he doesn't. And a guy I don't like, think he's um, going to play too many minutes in important games, but in terms of bringing him in to just beat up a couple of centers, he can definitely do that. Yeah, I mean, a guy like Romeo Langford played, what, 25, 30 minutes for the Celtics last game, and he didn't really do much, but he's still there defensively passing the ball, moving it. Like, this team is is weirdly deep in a sense that you wouldn't think of them of having these great bench players. I don't do consider them deep. No, personally. they're not deep, but when when you think of the Celtics, you think of a team that's shorthanded, that has these three or four stars, and some, some scrubbish guys on the bench, but... These, these scrubbish guys on the bench, as people call them, can actually play. So, no, they're not deep like the Raptors deep or the Heat or other teams like that, but they can they can hold their own. Yes, I, I would imagine that they're going to have to limit those bench minutes against non-terrible teams at <laughs> Sixers. Let's talk about that terrible Sixers team. Yeah, uh, they're pretty bad right now <laughs> tobias harris Sucks. i don't know do you think he's worth his contract that's a that's a hard call <laughs> tobias harris if you took his contract and cut it in half he's probably still not worth it would that be five year 90 mil it's probably okay still not okay worth that. come on come on it tobias harris is a good player he has played very very poorly in the last two games but the dude can create a shot he does have length and size he's not a bad player it was just no, he's it was just like that size of a contract is supposed to go to a guy who can like 
actually like influence a game completely in your direction and tobias harris cannot do that if i remember correctly tobias harris wasn't very good last postseason and he hasn't been good this postseason so he was really bad i would actually say like he was the difference that could have elevated the sixers above the raptors in that series so he's He's shooting 0% from three in two games. <laughs> He's 10 of 30 from the field. He's shooting 33%. And he has 28 total points in two games. He's taken 30 shots to get 28 points. This is a guy who needs to step up without Ben Simmons. He's clearly the second most talented player on this team. And he has been terrible. Abysmal. <laughs> so, yeah, he needs to be better. And that... that even if Tobias Harris is better, this team is still not beating the Celtics. I think at this point, the Celtics are going to sweep. It, it just, I don't know. It looks like I have it. them winning today. I, I think uh, we should talk about Joel Embiid just being dominant. He is such a force offensively and defensively. When he's in the game, everything revolves around him. Brett Brown does not know how to use Joel Embiid correctly. Nobody on the Sixers knows how to throw an entry pass. Nobody on the Sixers tries to get him the ball as much as they should. He should be the focal point of that offense every single play. The Celtics do not have a big man to contend, and Joel Embiid should be taking freaking Daniel Tice off the dribble, (laughs) posting him up. He should be doing everything. Yet I watch like Tobias Harris take step-back mid-range shots, post fades, like all this crap, and then you got freaking Al Horford being another one of the worst contracts in the entire NBA. They they have some good players too. Like Tybul is a sick rookie. His defense on Tatum, he's not holding him back like at all, but he's still in good position. He's like getting steals and disrupting him a little bit. And then you got, you know, like Josh Richardson, great perimeter defender, very quality contract that just got completely screwed over by the terrible contracts like the other ones. Like, oh man. Jay Rich looks great. Sixers are frustrating. Josh Richardson looks really good. He has been one of the pieces keeping him in these games. I thought the Sixers were going to the finals this year. They had the pieces. I don't know if it's Brett Brown's fault. What I will say is that Simmons and Embiid are not going to work. Embiid looks just sad. He just looks sad. He wants to win. And that franchise is not leading him to winning. Don't be surprised if you get that trade request a couple weeks after the season's over for them. My problem with how the Sixers are playing is whenever Joel Embiid is in the game, because he's a guy that he's not going to play 42 minutes in a playoff game if they need him, he's a big dude. He has to run a lot. It's wear and tear on his legs, on his knees, and he's injury prone. So if he's going to play 37 minutes, which is a lot of minutes, every single minute needs to be giving him the ball. He needs to take as many shots as minutes he plays. He yeah. needs to, like, in this series, like you said, there is a significant mismatch, one very clear mismatch, and it happens to be the Sixers' best player against the worst starting guy on the Celtics team. And what do they do? They fed him in the first quarter. They isolated him. They had guys go, four, four of them go weak side. It was great. And then they just stopped. And I don't know why they stopped. It was working, and they lost after that. They got completely outscored the rest of the game, and it was over. Yeah, I my roommate is a Sixers fan, and I just feel bad for him. He he didn't even want to watch the game today. I had to Terrible. encourage him to. Yeah, so that, enough Sixers <laughs> talk. It, it's it's depressing. It is Embiid depressing. Leave. And look, if if they get good pieces for Embiid, there's no reason why this the Sixers have to rebuild. They still have Ben Simmons. If they get a package like you said with Dinwiddie and Levert and Jared Allen, it's another quality center. Jared Allen's a young guy who's been very good. And you have Levert, who's who's entering his prime and been really good. And then Dinwiddie's been good. So that's a team that built, surround those guys with shooters. And they have a quality playoff team again. Yep. I, they, that's going to happen. I'm sorry. Like, one of them is gone this summer. Simmons or Embiid. It's They're gonna not going to trade Simmons. Simmons has too much potential. I agree. And, and then Embiid's so much gone. more durable. Embiid's gone. Yeah. So let's move on. The last series was one that we heard a lot of people saying the Pacers could potentially pull off an upset. Maybe it's because the rest of the East was so boring that people wanted to to create some narrative in their mind, but the Pacers have yet to beat the Heat this year. The, the one game they beat them, the Heat benched their whole guy. It was, a, it was a bench game. 
Yeah, so like the Pacers if, beat the if heat. Pacers fans want to take that game, they can. But so uh, the that, that was pretty meaningless. Yet. And this is a game that a series that everybody thought would be pretty close. And so far, the Heat look like the better team in every way. Yeah, I I think if Sabonis was there, this would be very close. Now, team like I, I see on Twitter all the time, everyone's like, "Oh, Sabonis was there, the Pacers would take the series." No, it's not that simple. We like the the Heat beat them without or with Sabonis multiple times throughout the year. So that argument is pretty trash. But if you're going to tell me that it would be a lot closer, I would completely agree because everything that Bam does for the Heat offense, which is pretty essential without Bam on the floor, their offensive rating just dips pretty much every game. That's the same with the Pacers. They're missing their Bam. And that is very understandable. It is an excuse that I will listen to and understand because if we were if the heat were missing bam you know as heat fans we would feel like we were missing a big part of the team but the way that it is right now for the pacers are just outmatched and for me the the argument i hate the most is that when people say oh sabonis will be back we have sabonis new tj warren the problem is that those those players don't necessarily mesh like when you have Sabonis you don't necessarily have this TJ Warren that exploded because the spacing is a lot less so to say that just you would have amazing TJ Warren with Brogdon with with Sabonis like it it just wouldn't work that way and yes I agree the Heat Pacers would go six or seven probably but no the Pacers still wouldn't beat the Heat I'm sorry I think something very interesting about this series is that Malcolm Brogdon and Victor Oladipo are able to take the poor perimeter defenders on the Heat on ISO possessions pretty much every play. And they penetrate, and they've been doing a great job of it. They've been scoring inside. They've been dishing out. You know, they're doing a lot. And that is the right scheme to run against the Heat because the Heat always have negative defenders on the court, whether it's Drogic, Hero, Robinson, Kelly Olenek. Those four guys are not able to slide their feet nearly as well as they as you know neutral NBA defenders. Now, even though it's the right play, it doesn't lead to offensive flow because it's ISO and the Pacers aren't known to run ISO. And I think that is really affecting the morale of the team as they fail to perform well on those isos all the time and as the heat come back down and hit threes on the other end i think it's just deflating so that that's an interesting thing to continue to watch i wonder if they try to switch it up and just stick to their regular offense that they were running throughout the season whatever it is i need to change something the defensive intensity has been there for the pacers it's it's a really a matter of offense at times but let's move on to the west we'll talk about Let's not get into the second round of who we think is going to win in the East and how those look. We'll talk about that later. Let's jump into the West. And I I don't even know if I can say this is the most intriguing series anymore because there's another one up there. But Lakers-Blazers, coming in, the Blazers took game one. Everybody's like, oh, my God, the Lakers are in so much trouble. They're going to lose now. And then they come back, and they, they look like the Lakers in game two with incredible defense. And they had a guy in KCP who stepped up as the third guy they needed who hit shots. So what did Game 2 tell you about the Lakers, Landon? I couldn't figure it out. It was a weird game. The Blazers have been the most high-powered offense in the entire bubble, and they were limited to like 56 points in three quarters or something along those lines. I was shocked. We knew that the Lakers' defense has been sick all year, and that's not the part that's surprising. It's more of the fact that when you're taking one of the best defensive teams against one of the best offensive teams, offense usually dominates. And last night, it it was failing miserably. Yeah, the Blazers' offense was horrible. Dame wasn't even great. CJ wasn't great. Nobody played well. I mean, Melo had two points. This is a guy who's been averaging, what, 12 or 14 points? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the Blazers' offense looked horrible. I'm not going to go that far and say the Lakers offense was great, but they looked a lot better than game one, which is a good sign going forward. 
Yes, their the guys are, were actually hitting some shots. Yeah, they're not, and they're not going to jump from one game of being horrible to instantly being regular season Lakers and and even better than that. They, they got to they got to slowly improve. And what we saw KCP do was very impressive, bouncing back. He was the meme of Twitter along with Danny Green, who we'll talk about in a second. Danny but, Green has been trending number one on Twitter two games in a row. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was and it's get not there. for being good. I'll tell you that KCP was horrible. It props to him for bouncing back. He was a huge part of the win. Kyle Kuzma looked aggressive and good. He only had seven, but he still made an impact on that game for what I was watching. And then we get Danny Green. Danny Green <laughs> is a two-time champion, and he looks and like a little... very important facet on both of those teams. Danny Green has been literal horse manure in these two games. Yeah. Horrible. If I was a Lakers fan, I would be infuriated after he was supposed to be like the three and D piece that like completely, you know, changed the makeup of this team. When they got him in free agency, everyone was like, man, they're getting that three guy that LeBron can kick to anytime that he drives when he draws two and they're going to be chilling. And Danny <laughs> Green has, he's almost played himself out of the game like pretty much every minute that I've watched. <laughs> he, he's, he was supposed to be the best 3 and D player LeBron's really ever played with. Can you name another one better? Like 3 and it, D? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, no, three-point-wise, like, right. yes. But yeah, you D, have Mike no. Miller in the heat when he was amazing. You, you're Ray, not going to beat yeah, that. Of course. But yeah, of course you have Ray Allen. But Mike Miller in that series is something else. And but, Kyle Korver. Yeah, no, but my point, 3 and D. Kyle Korver is definitely not D. So no. Danny Green was <laughs> supposed to be the best 3 and D player he had, and he's, and he's clutch. He's been clutch before. So he's been Even earlier this year, horrible. he hit that big shot against the Mavericks. Yeah, so he's been terrible. He's going to turn it around. He's a guy who gets in slumps sometimes, but this is a really bad look. There's wide-open shots he's bricking. I mean, almost every wide-open shot that I've seen, he's bricked. Just every shot, open or not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah basically. So uh, he tried <laughs> turn it around. He tried to drive and, like, got, like, stripped one time. And, like, oh, my God, he put up some bricks of floaters. He just can't do anything right now. It's, at, so, all, it's so all in his head, dude. Real quick on the Blazers. We won't talk too much about the Blazers. We've been talking about them so much the last couple weeks. Dame's injury. Are you worried or are you not? Nope. He's a tough guy. Like he won't let something like that deter him. It yeah. wasn't on his shooting hand. I think he'll be He's fine. fine. Yeah. Uh, not too much in the Blazers. They had one bad game. We'll see if it's more of the Lakers defense or more just a really bad game by the Blazers. What's we'll your pick game. for the series now? I have the Lakers in six. I Me think too. the Blazers will get one more. I think the Lakers will probably win next game. Maybe 2-2, two, two, and then they'll win the last two. I don't know how it's going to play out. They don't have a LeBron defender. They've been putting Gary Trent on him, which has done a good job of frustrating LeBron because Trent is just relentless on that end. But in terms of actual effectiveness, LeBron just posts him up and takes him to the rack every time, and it's just not sustainable. So let's move on to what I think is the most interesting series, which I didn't think was going to be before. The Clippers Mavericks. No, I, I have to say you were right. I was wrong on this one a while back. You said that the Mavericks would give the Clippers fits, and you were completely right. I, I would say the Mavericks look better than they, the Clippers right now. They look now. better in game one, even though they lost. Correct. Before I agree. Before Porzingis got hurt, they were the better team. You mean uh, suspended? or uh, right, yeah, yeah, I guess Corey suspended for ejected, the half. Ejected. ejected. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, he got hurt by hurting his feelings. <laughs> that was a terrible objection but that was um, horrible i, I don't but, even i can't but, even think about that but i will defend the refs the second tech had to be given i agree the first tech was bad but after they made the mistake they can't double up on a mistake christoph right should but. not have engaged you have to no. be smarter than that as your team's second best player and he i mean that was just a huge mistake on his behalf but yeah the mavericks they look together as a team um luca is the best player in the playoffs through two games so far. Maybe Donovan Mitchell's up there with him, but Luka does everything for this team. It's ridiculous. And he was in foul trouble. He played 28 minutes, I think. He had 28, 8, and 7. How? Yeah. Against he's, the best he's defensive team in the league. Luka's just a straight god, bro. He, he is unbelievable. So the Clippers, which is both of our finals picks, and we're very high in the Clippers being the best team in the league, they don't look good. You know who they remind me of? They remind me of the 10-11 Heat. Remember when LeBron and Wade just took turns constantly? That, yeah. That's how the Clippers 
are kind of acting right now in which like at least there it was just two people taking turns this is Lou Will Paul George and Kawhi all just awkwardly taking a possession as their own and it leads to awkward isos it leads to less ball movement and then even looking at Marcus Morris he'll just like isolate on the wing sometimes or in the corner and just take like contested twos which is his thing but it doesn't lead to team basketball no not at all what the I'm a huge Kawhi guy and watching the Clippers is absolutely just frustrating in every sense of the word because if it were up to me, Kawhi would be just running every possession while he's on the floor. He is just too good to be moved off to the wing as just like a kick-out three-point shooter. Yet, he finds that role every time Paul George or Lou Will ends up isolating. And I he needs to have a bigger impact on the game. And it's not his fault because every time he touches the ball, he's unbelievable. But he's been getting pushed to the side too often. That has to end right now. And what's even scarier is that Kawhi Leonard played 41 minutes last game and was really good, and they still lost. This was supposed to be a team that even if Paul George struggled, which he did mildly last game, when George Paul struggles, as you like to call him, number 31, he Kawhi's supposed to still get this team to the promised land, and Kawhi did, he had a great game. He shot 10 of 21, which is pretty good. He had 35 and 10. They still lost, and it wasn't really that close. GP31 needs to relax. He needs to defer to the significantly better player in Kawhi Leonard. He needs to realize that he is jacking up terrible shots pretty frequently, and it's losing the game for his team. Did you see that one where he just like took that step back air ball? His face <laughs> after that, and then Kawhi's face, which was the generic Kawhi face. You can't really ever tell what he's feeling, but... I think we could all tell what he was thinking, which was, bro, but why isn't my number two somebody else? <laughs> so let's Where, move on. Where's Paul George? Where's Paul George? Let's Bring move Paul on, George but that's back. a series to keep watching because if the Clippers continue to struggle and the Mavericks take a 2-1 lead, what if they win later tonight? I mean, th- this is – I cannot – I the Clippers are going to win the series, but, I mean, it might go seven. <laughs> It's magical that Luka is able to perform like this against elite perimeter defenders. Let me ask, I have to add this as well. Doc Rivers not putting Kawhi on Luka is the most frustrating. All of this is so freaking frustrating, man. Like, as a coach, how are you not putting the best perimeter defender in the entire league, probably just the best overall defender in the whole league, even better than Giannis, on the guy that is the focal point of the offense. It doesn't make any sense. Reggie Jackson was given the assignment last game. What is that? The problem is, if you have Kawhi on the whole game, Kawhi's gassed offensively, and his shots are going to be short, and they need him to score. So then put another elite defensive they, they perimeter player in Paul George. They've had PG, they've had Morris, they've had Kawhi. I've seen them be, they, they've been switching. Yes, no, I, I understand that. They have all had it for brief, like brief periods That's of time. Need, I'm though, saying because you'll be no, too gassed. No, I'm sorry. Does. I, I, you need an elite perimeter player on Luka. Paul George or Kawhi should be sticking Luka the whole game. Well, Doc George Rivers should be able him. to say, cover Luka Doncic, and they should be able to do that given their prominence as defensive players. Well, let me say this real quick. It doesn't look like anybody in the world can guard Luka Doncic right now. I'll just say that. Yeah, I guess you're right. I, I just think they should be scheming no, better. They, I, the Clippers are going to scheme better tonight. I think the Clippers might actually just run away with it, but we'll see. Yeah. So. Nuggets Jazz, right now the score is 85-60 Jazz in the third quarter. What is wrong with the Nuggets? I mean, they're missing two very important pieces, and it's starting to show. The whole big man lineup thing was funny. It was gimmicky. Like, Bull Bull was a blast to watch. Once you're getting into the heart of the playoffs here, you need your perimeter guys for shot creation. And while Gary Harris has had a terrible year offensively, he is an elite perimeter defender. And Will Barton is their third best scoring option, or at least was. Now that MPJ has stepped up, I say he is. But Will Barton was putting up 
significant points per game that would be essential to the offense right now, and that production is not being made up elsewhere. The problem is right at the top, though. Rudy Gobert is just outplaying Nikola Jokic right That's now. this game, though. That's this game. I, I wouldn't mean, say last game, too, he, he outplayed him, in my opinion. Statistically, I, I, Jokic I gets, his, gets all of his, his rebounds and assists because he's the focal point of the offense, but what Gobert's done defensively on him is, is really frustrated him. He's gotten in the passing lanes. He's a big body. I mean, he's abusing him tonight. For today. sure. No, and, no, yeah, definitely. I'm just saying, like, Jokic is obviously still impacting the game in a matter of ways. It's just, I just don't like the core around him right now without Harris and Barton. No, absolutely. And like you said, it's it's starting to show. And guys like Michael Porter Jr. Jr. are really stepping up to help, but he's been getting picked on a lot defensively. This is, this is the team that was a, a very deep team coming into the playoffs because you would assume that Harris and Barton would come back. But right now, I mean, they're going eight or nine deep like any normal team, and their bench isn't necessarily any better now because their best bench players are now starting. Right. That's true. That's a good point. And so, we've known for a while that they are not a – so the Nuggets have always been good defensively in terms of defensive rating, right? Like Mike Malone stresses that. He's a great defensive coach. Their personnel is not defensive oriented in the slightest. Their two all-stars are all offense. And when you look down the roster, I, I just don't see the perimeter defense or the interior defense to keep up with some teams. I thought that was going to come back to bite them. I predicted that they would win this series. I think their defensive lapses might lead to them losing in the first round, which is pretty embarrassing after their success yet again in the regular season. Yeah, this this is this this lineup ain't it right now. <laughs> this is not <laughs> like I like they have a lot of it's weird because guys like Millsap and Craig, Tory Craig are really good defenders. Jeremy Grant's a really good defender, and then Jokic and Murray and Porter are really good offensive weapons, but they just have not put it together and it looks like they're getting out hustled today and last game. And game one, they barely won. What if they could be down 3-0 right now? So, yeah, I right now, I mean, it's hard to say the Jazz are not going to win this series because they're completely outplaying the Nuggets. Donovan Mitchell is starting to go up player ranks. He might make All-NBA next year if he keeps up this level of play. He's just an elite offensive weapon, plays sick perimeter defense, is fast, athletic, has like the dunk package to be in the dunk contest. Like he's just got everything. He's a franchise guy and I would want him leading my team. When I picked the Nuggets over the Jazz, I I just discounted what Donovan Mitchell brings to the table. It is not many guys in the league are able to perform like this on both ends. So here's a guy in Donovan Mitchell who's been insane in the playoffs. And how about comparing him to a guy like Paul George, who game one he was pretty good and game two he hasn't been. Can you definitely say with 100% confidence you would rather have Paul George than Donovan Mitchell at this point? In the playoffs, I would take Donovan Mitchell in a heartbeat, and that goes back two years. I mean, Donovan Mitchell took down Paul George his rookie year, and they were the best players on their respective teams. So, so Donovan, Donovan Mitchell, Mitchell, is he better than Paul George right yes, now? Yes, Paul George has had a bad year. He has decent numbers, pretty similar to like Chris Middleton, for instance, except we expect MVP level play from Paul. And every year in the playoffs, playoff P turns into playoff G. And <laughs> and it is never fun to watch. You and the Paul George memes, man. Fan. You're on Twitter too much. That's true. I am on Twitter too much. But, no, I... <laughs> but in all seriousness, Donovan Mitchell has been one hell of a player in these now three games. And. I mean, he, Dude, he scored like the he... third most points in a playoff game ever. Now, That's I will say wild. that I will say that I don't love the Jazz matchup with the Clippers because I think the Clippers are going to be better against a team who slows down the pace. So the Jazz are praying to see the Mavs. Yeah, I I don't know. I I do like the Gobert matchup against the Clippers. I do, but I I don't know. Sim like it's. To me, it's 
yeah, the, the Jazz have a lot of other pieces, but it's Mitchell and Gobert who are a worse version of Luka and Porzingis. And they're very different teams. Whoa, whoa, whoa. A worse version of Luka and Porzingis? I don't know if I agree with that. I think Porzingis is more disruptive to the Clippers than Gobert, and I think that Luka is... Offensively, yes. Can, Mitchell. I, Gobert on defense, against the Clippers especially, I think he's going to be a terror. Well, it depends what lineup the Clippers have out. I if, just if they don't I have foresee out, them then... struggling. They they struggle against Boban, you know, and like well, Boban's I, another I, story. I, I forgot to mention. I wanted to talk about Boban, but Boban is an animal. <laughs> he is no, but but that's my point though. They struggle with the size on the inside because they whip out lineups with like Jamichael Green at center, even Montrez at center. I saw him trying to rebound over Boban, and he just looked deflated. He just looked <laughs> like like he was so upset because you know how intensely competitive Montrez is and he just looked <laughs> he just looks so sad I don't know I, I don't like the Jazz matchup with the Clippers but that's another story if, if they get there let's move on to the last series so the Houston Rockets have looked really good even with James Harden not playing a great game too he played a pretty bad game too but I don't even want to focus on the Rockets right now the Oklahoma City Thunder look absolutely abysmal yeah, I, I, I don't really know what happened to them. Shea had a rough first game. I think part of it is the switching. That switching system on perimeter players can really get in your head because you're not getting momentum going around picks. And Shea lives in the mid-range, and he always has a guy in front of him. Same deal. Like On those pick and rolls, which the Thunder run pretty often with Steven Adams, you're not getting the separation if they're just switching, and therefore you can't put up the mid-range shots that he likes. I think Shea, Chris Paul, and Dennis Schroeder are all feeling that, all feeling that pressure from switching, and it is affecting their gameplay significantly. Chris Paul, game two. All right, let's start. Shea in game two played 37 minutes. He was plus seven. Chris Paul was minus 36. I wonder if that's the worst he's ever been. Chris Paul has been horrible. He had two assists. When does Chris Paul have two assists? That's insane. He has been really bad. And this is a series that I was like, wow, Chris Paul has this chance to beat the Rockets. Oh my, he's probably so hyped. And he has been nothing but horrible. I don't know. He had he had a good game one. And he had a decent game two. Yeah, but he two. didn't start good game one. It was all garbage time. They were blown out. Okay, that that's partially true. He started that's partially true. Turnovers. He was terrible. I, I guess I guess my point is like he recovered in that game. Maybe it was garbage time, but he still like ended up with a decent game at the end. Game two, he played really well. You know, like he he has been pl- doing his part. In the end, to me, this is a lack of depth issue for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Absolutely. When you run the best lineup in the league in terms of plus minus in Stephen Adams, Gallinari. Schroeder, SGA, and Chris Paul. You run that, right? And that's a sick lineup. But then when you start having other pieces come in and disrupting the chemistry between those Dort. five, Dort oh, and man. Baisley, they're just <sighs> they just don't have they just don't have the depth. Yeah. Yeah. No, they don't have a guy outside of that lineup that can create their own shot or even get anywhere close to creating their own shot. And vice versa, the, the Rockets. The Rockets have a lot of guys. Austin Rivers, Jeff Green. These are guys who are somehow creating shots off the dribble, and they're very effective. And James if Harden you were, did not have a good game, too. And this whole Rockets team was great. If you were to do a power ranking, would the Rockets be the best team in the West? After no. a few games? No. No? They'd be number two, though. Behind the Clippers? Do you think they'd be one? Yeah, I'd put them at one. In terms of power rankings, not in terms of championship probability, but they look like the best team in the West right now. I have. They look like the best team. Power rankings, I'd still have the Clippers over them, but right now there's nothing telling me that the Rockets don't have a great chance of beating the Lakers if both teams get there. That Dude, would be I mean, a great listen, series. if the Clippers keep playing like this, like I, I picked them to win the championship. We both did. I still think they're going to. I think they're going to figure it out. If they don't figure it out, 
that talent is not enough to get them by a team like the Rockets. It might not be. I, I, I'm not saying it definitely will. No, Rockets, I'm just I'm just saying like the Rockets are really good right now and shouldn't be underestimated. No, if, if I see one more bad Clippers game, I'd put the Rockets ahead of them in power rankings. I still think just because it's two games and they're one and one, it's not enough to say it. I think the Rockets should be higher in the power rankings. But the most impressive team through two games in the West by far has been the Houston Rockets. They look great. Their role they're, players are great. They're the most they, impressive team so far in the whole playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I think the West translates to the East. The East has been great, but I mean, these there's really four East teams that we knew were coming out, and yeah, the Magic beat the Bucks, but they're not going to win another game. So, <laughs> agreed. But yeah, so with Westbrook back, when he comes back, are the Rockets? Where, do you think? I mean, what do you think? Are, are they gonna? You, you have them beat. Listen, the man, if I were to make tiers right now in terms of championship competitive teams. <laughs> I would have the Clippers, the Rockets, the Heat, the Celtics, and the Raptors in Tier One, and the I'd Bucks and the, the Lakers. Lakers. Nah. The Bucks and the Lakers, they just don't have it. I think the Bucks lose to the Heat. I think the Lakers lose to the Rockets. I, I just, I think both of those teams have lost their luster. After I'm the not, long break, I'm not ready to put the Rockets a tier ahead of the Lakers. The same tier is different. Ahead. I'm not ready for that. I'm not talking like overall. I'm just saying based on the first two games. Maybe. The Lakers I'm not saying really like, like not based on the whole season, not based on anything, but how they played the first two games. I I do not feel good about the Lakers' chances, nor the Bucks. And right now, by the way, the Jazz are up 97 to 64 starting Jesus. the fourth quarter. Ridiculous. The Nuggets look horrible. Yeah. So yeah, maybe I'll change my prediction to the Jazz. But... That wraps up podcast 14. We talked about the first two games. Once again, if this comes out another another day or two and we're wrong about something, don't yell at us. Don't tell us we're wrong. We're recording this on August 21st. Just our reactions to the first two games in every series. Once again, as always, thanks guys for listening. Keep following us on social media. Our handle on both Instagram and Twitter is at the Towel Boys. Stay tuned for more podcasts. Always remember to embrace your inner towel, boy.